but Ephesians chapter 2, if you're uh, using the, the Pew Bibles, it is page 976. There is this uh, wonderful story uh, that often gets told and retold um, about Jesus, and so you've probably heard it before, but this guy who's kind of a big deal, he was rich, and he was young, and he had a lot of power, and so we call him the rich young ruler. Shows up one day as Jesus is teaching. He comes up to Jesus and he says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now this seems like a, a fairly good question, right? I mean, that's important. If, you're, if you believe in or are interested in, in, in achieving uh, eternal life, you go to the teacher who's kind of the big guy and you say, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus uh, says to him, well, you know the commandments. Uh, do not murder, don't steal, don't commit adultery. And, and you, if you're new to the church thing, that's okay. You might not know this, but Jesus is kind of quoting directly from the Ten Commandments. And so everybody that Jesus is talking to, though, they, they all know what he's referring to. They know that he's quoting the Ten Commandments, and he's telling this guy, hey, listen, go back and read your Bible. We might think that this is a very good answer, an appropriate answer that Jesus is giving to this young man. I don't think that's true at all. I think Jesus is sort of pushing him off. I think Jesus is saying, don't ask me stupid questions, kid. Because this is like you coming to me and saying, hey, I, you know, this Jesus guy, there's something about him. How do I know more about him? Any guesses? <laughs> right? I would say, well, maybe you should go home and read your Bible, kid. Don't ask me stupid questions. Right? And, and, and so Jesus, I think, is just kind of pushing off on this, on this kid. Or maybe he's even testing him. Maybe he's trying to see how far he'll push or how far he'll go. But he is definitely the kid in the class who raises their hand to ask the second question. And we hate that kid, don't we? Put your hand down. He answered your question. We're ready to go home. Don't keep us longer, right? The bell rang. Stop. Just stop. But he presses in a little harder. And he says, well, I've done all that stuff. And this is what I love about Jesus, and that's just because Jesus likes to wreck everything. The guy was young, and he was rich, and he was a ruler. I'm making this so easy for you guys. Come on. I, I know you were up late last night, so I'm throwing you softballs, right? Rich, young ruler. And Jesus says, fine, you want to push me? One thing do you lack? Sell all you have, give it to the poor, then come and follow me, and you'll have treasure in heaven. You've given up everything, and you followed after me. If, if you really want to take the next step, if you really want to go hard, then, then come and follow me. Sell it all. Be done with it. Move into an apartment. And I hate that rich young ruler. Like, Really hate him. Because if he had just stuck with do the law of Moses, that's really easy. Like you turn to the Old Testament and you say, okay, don't lie, don't cheat, you know, don't commit adultery. It's very easy. If he had just stopped right there, we wouldn't be asking questions about what does rich actually look like and, and am I that person and, 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 and do I need to sell something and, and is, is a camel going through an eye of a needle, is that me? And all of these other questions that I would never have to consider and Jesus sort of wrecks it all because Jesus is not the guy to be trifled with. He is the guy who sees the line and jumps over it. And everyone is left going, what do I do with that? And that's what I love about Jesus. I don't want to get too bound up in what it looks like to be rich or poor and all these kinds of things today. Um, 
Though that's a perfectly good question for that text. What I want us to see is that Jesus is constantly pressing harder on you and pressing harder on me and asking the question, are you really a disciple? And I, 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 I know it's artificial, Jack pointed this out, it is artificial to be thinking about this on January 1st of 2017, but it just kind of is the time I begin to sort of self-evaluate and think about my life. And, and I feel as though in my own personal life that some of the fire's gone out. And I don't want to be that person. I want to be like Jesus. I want to be the person who doesn't care about anything except for God, who's got that fire in their guts, who's got that... All right. I want a mission to... to... Are we good? Okay, all right. Did that, was that my fault? No, no, okay. All right, good. I, I, want, a, I want a mission to fight for. I, I, want something, I want something to be driving me and forcing me forward. I want to grow. I want to expand. I want to be more. I want to be deeper. I want to look back next year on this year and say something was different about Jordan, that, that, that he fought for the gospel harder, that he shared you, that he was the kind of... The, you notice that nobody is like... Nobody's lukewarm about Jesus in the Gospels. I mean, we're all lukewarm about Jesus these days, but nobody's lukewarm about Jesus. You either wanted this guy to be crucified or you were like ready to sell everything and follow him. There's just no middle ground around Jesus. And I want to be that, I want to be that person. I want to be the person that people look at and say, I know what this guy is all about because his single-minded devotion to this cause is driving everything. I do want that to be me, and I'm afraid that I'm just kind of a lame adult. Steve Kemp and I got in, on, into an argument sometime. Steve's here, isn't he? I saw him. There you are. Steve, Steve and I are friends. I didn't, I didn't ask permission to share this, but we're friends, so it's okay. Steve and I were arguing about New Year's resolutions, and Steve said, New Year's resolutions are kind of dumb, because if you really cared about making the change, you would just do it, and Steve is wrong. Because people, we have certain makeups in our brain. There are just things that we like, and we like round numbers. We like groupthink. We like moments of celebration. We like all coming together, and we're all coming together for one purpose. And we all know that New Year's means resolution. Change is fine. Somebody said change. Change is fine. Resolutions. We are going to go to the gym. How many of you already have picked out your gym? Oh, wow. Oh, well, a couple of people. All right. Get, get to work. We, we, we start thinking about, well, maybe I'll eat healthy this year and I'll stop having donuts for breakfast and lunch and dinner <laughs> and my midnight snack. And maybe I'll get healthy. We start, asking, start thinking, no, how could I be a better husband or, or wife or parent? And, may, and maybe I'll work a little less and focus on my family a little more. Maybe I'll pray more this year. Maybe I'll read my Bible a little more. Maybe I'll sign up for a ministry. Right? Maybe I'll do that kind of thing. But we know statistically also that only about 8% of the New Year's resolutions that get made are actually followed through, which might mean that Steve's writer than I indicated he was. 
<laughs> right? It is so hard for us to do this kind of thing. So hard that I meet people who say, well, I'm not going to make one because I'm not going to keep it if I make it. But I think part of that has to do with the fact that most people don't belong to a church where they are investing their actual lives, where I actually know what gym Steve is going to go to, and I say, hey, did you make it to the gym? Where I actually know, hey, there's a commitment over here to read the Bible more, and I say, Paul, have you been reading your Bible more? And we begin to hold each other accountable because we actually know one another, and we care enough about one another to hold one another accountable to these things. And the most important thing that you can commit to doing, aside from you know, eating healthy and working out, all this kind of thing, is to give your life to Jesus this year in a real and tangible way by saying, I will minister. Some of you are under the impression that I am the minister. No, they just give me the fancy uh, cards that say it on the back. The Bible says, you want to go ahead and switch it for me? I can do it. Says in Revelation that you all are a kingdom of priests. This is a good thought experiment just to think about what does a priest do in relationship to the people around the priest. The Bible calls every single person in this room that says, yes, I am a Christian, I'm a disciple of Jesus. You are a kingdom of priests. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. You are God's special possession. For what purpose? that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his glorious light. If you are a Christian, you are also a minister. If you are a Christian, you are called to do something. You are called to share Jesus in a tangible way. And so our push this morning is to say, make a ministry resolution. And that will have two kind of solid applications as we get through. But I want to look at our text this morning because I really dig it. And it is in Ephesians chapter 2. Again, if you're using our Pew Bible, uh, it is page 976, which says this. So Ephesians chapter 2, beginning with verse 1. And you were dead in your trespasses and your sins, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived, carrying out uh, the passions of the flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And we were by nature children of, of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even though we were dead in our sins, our trespasses, we were made alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the ages to come he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, this not of your own doing, it is a gift from God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. Now those are all familiar words. I really hope the theology that is there is very familiar because we spent 14 weeks going through it. Please, right? You with me? So all of this stuff is, is really familiar. We've been talking about grace, 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 and more grace. We talked about how we are disobedient to God. If there's anything that watching New Year's Eve programming tells me, it is that we are disobedient to God and loving it. 
There's no pulling back on any of that as a culture, right? It is just, if we, if we lay Moses, maybe even just a fraction of the Ten Commandments against what I watched for a half an hour on TV, the, I mean, right? Don't need to go on. Disobedient, right? And because we are disobedient, we are following the path of Satan himself. We're following in his footsteps. This disobedience is just this trajectory on which the entire world is just going on like a like just runaway train right i mean that's where it's going so secondly we are destined for something in verse three we are destined for the revelation of our sin we read about this in romans chapter one that we can see it marked all over us if we had the eyes to see we would see broken relationships broken families broken hearts broken lives we would see all of this brokenness throughout the world and in our own lives, and we would say that's an evidence, that is revelation of the judgment of God upon your life. The judgment of God in the life of all around us, but it gets worse. It gets worse before it gets better. Because if we die in that state, our destiny is judgment, and after judgment, hell. And so we need saving. We need healing. We need that brokenness to be brought back into rightness. And we have these, this wonderful phrase, but God, being rich in mercy, and with the great love with which he loved us, did what? Stepped in, bore the wrath, bore our sins, and raised us up through the life, death, resurrection of Jesus Christ, raised us up into heavenly places. And that is good news. On this morning, January 1st, 2017, this is all done according to God's grace and love. And that's the content of grace. But we stand at the precipice of a very dangerous and, and very ubiquitous error. And that is we want to shake God's hand, say thank you, and walk away back to our old ways of life. Because we talk so much about grace, 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 grace. And some of you all needed to hear that really badly. We also need to hear their works that follow after that. Response to grace, response to God's love is going to change something specific in your life. You will walk away and be different. Notice how Paul ends this. He's told us this magnificent story of grace, all that God has done for you. And he caps it all off. He said, all of this is a trajectory. This is heading somewhere. And here we have it in verse 10. For you are his workmanship. Each and every one of you, God has reached into your life and he's beginning to rework you. You are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that you should walk in those good works. Now just ponder the depth of that for a moment. You are the workmanship of God. You are created in Christ Jesus, that God is, through the spirit that is dwelling in you, sanctifying you and raising you up to become more and more like him, to give you good works that you could walk in those. You know, Emery draws me pictures sometimes, and they're terrible. Every one of them is terrible. They're so terrible that she will hand them to me and I will make something ridiculous up. I'll say, well, isn't that a lovely pig flying a kite? 
And she'll say, Daddy, that's not a pig flying a kite. I'm like, oh, of course it is. I don't know what it is. Like, it could, it could literally be a pig. I don't know. And she's like, no, it's you and me holding hands, dancing on a burning sun, or, you know, something. I don't know. Whatever it is that she's drawing. And she'll draw 50 of these things. I made you 50. There's a stack of 50 pictures, and they're going nowhere. They're not going to do anything. And she hands it to me. She says, Daddy, I made this for you. What do I do with it? What? No, I don't put it on a refrigerator. I said it was terrible. <laughs> put it on a refrigerator. But I'm also not quite that cold-hearted either because I know it's terrible. And yet it's not terrible at the same time. And so we have a whole box full of garbage pictures made by a six-year-old <laughs> that we can't bear to get away, to throw them away, right? Because they're lovely. They're not lovely, but they're lovely. Are you, are you following me? And, and Emery treasures them too. She'll make, this, she'll make these, this stack of pictures and, there, and there's like 50 stacks of 50 pictures all over the house. And I'm just like, can we get rid of some of these things? She's like, I made that for you. Her face. How could you? You can't get And I love this picture and I love you and I made this for you. And so, of course... Well, we've got a box of those. Let's put it in the box. Now, my point is this. You might look in the mirror in the morning and say, that is a terrible picture. And the people around you in your workplace, maybe even some of you in your own marriage, maybe your children, maybe everyone in high school or middle school or elementary school looks at you and says, that is a terrible picture. You should put a beard on that and cover half of it up. It's the only way we can improve that. Brandon. <laughs> that was not meant to be directed at you, but I like looked at you at that moment. <laughs> He's prettier than me. He pulls it off well. Everyone in the world might say that's a terrible picture. But God says, I made that, right? When God looks... He sees his workmanship. He sees somebody that has been created in Christ Jesus for a calling to walk in good works that he will lead you step by step through. And what I love about the story uh, of of Jesus is that Jesus was a pretty average dude uh, as well. We have these texts from Isaiah 53. And you might remember Isaiah 53 is a really important text written hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus. But it details somebody who is going to come and who is going to die a sacrificial death who is going to, going to bear our sins and our sorrows. And it says before it gets to all of that, this. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. I take great comfort in that. That means that Jesus in elementary school, then middle school, then high school, at no point in those times did somebody say, that guy's going to be the Messiah. When they were doing, what do they call it? When they do the voting things in high school and like your best hair, best, what is that called? What, what is it called? Ele- elections. Mock elections, thank you. You can see how many of those I won. <laughs> mock elections, right? Nobody mock elected Jesus said, this guy can do anything. He is going to be the Messiah. They looked at him and they said, this guy is terribly average. There was nothing that was going to attract them to, uh, 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 attract them to him because he, he, he wasn't going to be a rich, young ruler. He was going to be 
average and yet not average at the same time, right? I love, I love how the Bible pulls no punches about you and me and our qualifications. It doesn't assume that we're going to be rich Young rules. In fact, there's another place where Paul says, how many of you were wise according to the world? How many were you powerful? Like he says this in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter uh, 1. But this, this text stands out to me. You are, uh, uh, God said, let light shine out of darkness. So here he's speaking, he's speaking about God's creative power, the God who made photons, right? Let light shine out of darkness, has made his light to shine in our hearts, to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. So what, what he's saying here then is that, that the light, the God who has created light has made his own light, which is his own glory, which is, is represented in Jesus Christ. He has given you a knowledge of that. And this line, of course, so famous. And we have this treasure, this, this knowledge of God in jars of clay. So fancy they named a band after it, right? I mean, it sounds nice, doesn't it? Jars of clay. And we do. We, we really, really miss this text because it sounds nice. Because when you want to decorate your house, where do you go? Pottery barn, right? Because pottery is fancy now. You, you, you take it and you, and you put these little knick-knack pots with birds on them, like throughout your house. And, 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 and this is how we decorate. This is not the equivalent Okay, so if you were reading this way back when it was written, you wouldn't think, oh, well, I really like pots, and I, I put them out my door, and I put flowers in them. This is, this is, this is, this is the equivalent, right? This is ancient pottery. It is used cottage cheese container with a sour cream top, because I couldn't find the actual top, to the daisy cottage cheese. I don't know when we had this. I don't, cottage cheese is nasty. It looks like baby puke. And, and... <laughs> This is, this is what it is because I am too cheap to actually buy Tupperware. Why would you buy Tupperware when the cottage cheese company gave you perfectly good ones to store your excess tacos in, right? This is the treasure in the jar of clay. This is the ancient world's depiction of a jar. It is not pretty. It is not fancy. It is not desirable. And we... These used containers of cottage cheese with the wrong lids on top, God has chosen to take the knowledge of Jesus Christ and to put it in this. Why would he do such a crazy thing? To show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. Because if you're from Pottery Barn, it's no surprise that somebody put some nice flowers in you. If you came over to my house and this is what we were putting our valuables in, you would think we're nuts. And God wants to show his glory. We are in a look-at-me culture, right? I mean, that's, that's, I don't know what to do. I don't even know what to do with it if it's not in the fridge. Um, we are in a look at, there's, there's nothing, again, I, I'm harping on like last night's, it's the first half an hour of TV I watched since Thanksgiving. So I was just... Um, but, you know, watch this happen over. If there's anything I've seen, like, this, this, this culture of look at me, look at me, look at me. We are not worth looking at. God has not made us a look at me culture. He's not made the church to be a look at me culture. He has made us to be a look at Jesus culture. And so we can be as frail, as broken, as unappealing, as flawed, as, as deeply uh, flawed as possible, and yet God's glory shines through the cracks so that when people see you, they see Jesus. And they say, wow, there's really nothing special about this person, but there's something special 
about this person. And that is what God is doing in you. So that you might do good works. Not because that's going to win God's love. God already loved you so much. He did everything possible to bring you into his family. And now he says, live like it. Live like something has changed. Show the world what I have, I have done for, in, and with you. Shine. Jesus says, you are the light of the world. A town on a hill is going to have a hard time not being seen at night. It's going to shine. And if you bring a lamp into the room, you're not going to throw a blanket over the top of it. You're going to put a, a, a lampshade with birds on it in the middle that you got at Pottery Barn so that everyone can see in the room, right? In the same way, he says, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Now, this is, this is the, the, the press that we're making today, and we've got out there a number of, of booths, um, and after the service, I want to encourage you to, to walk out there and to take a look, and just uh, for the first thing, just stop and see what's happening here. We have newer people, um, and, uh, and you might just not be aware of the different ministries that are happening, places where you can sign your name and say, yeah, I'm going to try, I'm going to try something this year. I'm going to try serving the church. I'm going to try helping uh, the church. I might try you know, helping other people as the church helps other people. I want to be a part of, of something. Just see what's out there. And my encouragement for you is to sign up for one thing. Now, please, if you are already doing 15 things, do not sign up for any other things. In fact, you might need to back down. I'm dead serious. No joke. Some of you all need to stop. And some of you all need to get off your butts. And you know who you are. If I start calling out names, then they start, you know, getting mad. But you know who you are. And if you've been doing the same thing for a long time, and you're like, if I have to do this one more time, I'm leaving this church. Stop. This is not a lifetime sentence. If you want to try something new out, try something new out. But be involved in ministry because you were made for ministry. I don't know what that ministry is. And maybe you don't know what that ministry is. Then spend some time in prayer to, to figure out and talk to people around and say, what am I really good at? What do I do? When you notice, what do you see me light up? Paul was talking to me about this. I didn't get permission for this story either. But... Um, Paul was talking to me about uh, the time that he had not been doing worship ministry for some time. He hadn't been leading music, and he got up and started doing it, and he said he got home, and Carrie was like, you just lit up. Like, this was, this was a thing that, that you weren't a part of, and, and then you were, and I could see God had made you for this thing. What has God made you for? Because he has made you for something. And if you weren't doing it, you're not walking in the grace that he has prepared beforehand for you to walk in. And so my encouragement for you this morning is to seek out and walk in that grace. To let the light that God has made in you shine because you were made to serve. You were made to serve. So serve. And we've tried to make it somewhat easy for you. We've given you some easy steps. Like I said, we've got the small church sign up out there. Um, uh, we, have, we have other of those booths. If you, as you're standing there walking through there saying, you know, I have, I'm really seeing a big hole in this spot. We need a ministry in this area. One, do not talk to me about that if you aren't willing to volunteer in it. Do I need to say that again? 
Don't talk to me about that if you aren't willing to volunteer in it. But two, if you are willing to volunteer in it, I desperately want to hear about your ideas. Where you are seeing places that, man, I'm not seeing this kind of ministry, but I'd love to see that ministry in action. Let's do it. I want to hear about it, right? So this is also to spark ideas so that we as a church can begin to grow and to think new thoughts and try new things because the only crime is not to try. Failure is not a big deal. We just don't do it again, right? Uh, not to try. That's, that's, the, that's the, not letting the spirit blow us to new places and try new things. That's the, that's the crime. And so this is also to spark ideas for you. So I, I want you to walk out there and I want you to w- w- mosey around and, and they're going to be somebody representing. I'll be at the small church at the coffee table. Of course, I'll be at the coffee table, the small church. But the, the, other, the other people will be there as well to talk to you about the kind of ministries that are, are available. But I want to push harder than that. I want to take it a, a, step, a step further than that because that's, that's really easy to do. Like everyone should be signed up for one thing. That's, that's easy. Um, I want us to begin to think more creatively about caring for one another. One of the greatest crimes I think of the church is that we don't do a very good job of actually caring for one another. Uh, so a, an experience that we had um, this week... Not this week. Um, over the past few months. Uh, anybody here live in an apartment? Raise your hand if you live in an apartment. All right. I love you apartment people. You're great. Don't, there's no shame in apartments. These people are paying $5 a load to do their laundry. Right? If you've ever been in a laundromat, you know how much those things cost. Raise your hand if you own a house or live in a house. You pay 30 cents. Why are we letting people in our church spend $30 to do their laundry when you can have them over to your house for 40 cents, have a cup of coffee and talk with one another and really fellowship and take care. I mean, I'm, like, we just don't think about it. And, and it, isn't, it isn't apartments people's fault. Uh, it, it's not anybody's fault. But I'm just saying, are we, are we really thinking about how we could mingle our lives and care about one another in real practical ways because it isn't just about signing up and saying yes i will change diapers once a month i i'm not looking forward to it but i'll plug i'll bring the thing and i'll plug my nose and i'll be a part of it it is about us thinking about one another loving one another getting to know one another and finding out where we can bring our lives together and really minister to one another because if we're going to be a city that shines there should be something shining about us The world's going to look at us and say, there is a group of people that that are followers of Jesus because look how they love one another. You might have seen that in the Bible somewhere. Then we actually have to do things that show people that you really love one another. And usually that includes sharing space, sharing food, sharing resources, sharing time. I seem to have read that somewhere in Acts 2, right? All of this begins with conversations with one another. Really getting to know one another, really getting to love one another if you want to minister to one another. And so I, I, there's this text in, in uh, a, final, a final verse from 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 9, which talks about, again, what God has made us to be. God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency... So all grace and all sufficiency in all things at all times that you may abound 
in every good work. You are made for that. You are made for that. So as we come to the conclusion this morning, as you look forward to 2017, I want you to make a ministry resolution. I don't know what that looks like for you, but make it something. Make it something. If you have a decision to make, maybe you need to get to know Jesus for the first time. Maybe you need to place membership at a church. Maybe that's your first step. Whatever it is, we invite you to come forward. If you just need prayer, we'll have an elder down front and we'll pray with you, we'll walk with you, we'll minister to and with you as together we walk this road. Let's stand and sing.